0: You're listening to Asbury University's Chapel Podcast, recorded live from our campus in Wilmore, Kentucky. Asbury's Chapel Service hosts speakers from around the world to inspire academic excellence and spiritual vitality. We hope you enjoy today's message.
1: Welcome to a special week of chapel. This is the first full week of February. and the next two weeks, um, we're diving into our spring chapel series, the story that we find ourselves in. And as followers of Jesus, we find ourselves in a story of transformation, a lifelong journey of knowing Jesus and trusting his work in our life. On Friday, Kathy Cook said it like this, own with integrity who God wants you to be. Live long and strong and find out why you are the you that you are. And those words have been reverberating in us even coming into this week. This is the journey of spiritual formation. In our chapel series the next two weeks, we'll dive deep into our core design, ultimately aimed to shape us like Jesus. Our minds being renewed, hearts being made holy, hands made to serve others so that we are living out a witness for Christ, in everything that we do and say, living in a community that reflects the kingdom of God. This is Christian discipleship, and this morning, Dr. Sarah Baldwin will launch us into this series, giving us the big picture of what it means to be formed as followers of Jesus. And uh, if you would stand, our call to worship this morning is from Philippians chapter 2 verses 1 to 5. And these words of Paul invite us to bring ourselves into oneness with Christ. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of vain ambition. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interest, but also to the interest of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus.
0: Listen to this word from the Lord it says okay we're starting out we're starting out in a heavy word we're not going to spend our whole time there but we're starting out with a really heavy word it says woe to you scribes and Pharisees hypocrites for you tithe mint dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law justice mercy faith It is these you have ought to have practiced without neglecting the others. You blind guides, you strain out a gnat but swallow a camel. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and of the plate, but inside you are full of greed and self-indulgence. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like like whitewashed tombs, which on the outside look beautiful, but inside are full of the bones of the dead and all kinds of uncleanness. I think it's probably fair to say that Jesus is not a fan of fakes. And we know right now in our world there's a lot of deep fakes going around. I heard that word just a few years ago and now it's just common vocabulary. And it usually means something that's been digitally altered in some way, usually not for that person's benefit. And it's not just images or videos, but there's voice clones, there's fake journalists, there's fake writers and fake media outlets, and deep fakes erode our confidence. In fact, one article says that deep fakes create a zero trust society where people cannot or no longer bother to distinguish truth from falsehood. So, okay, so I have a little test for you, a little test for you. Okay, here is slide number one, slide number one. One of these people is a real human. Who do you think it is? One of them is a real human. The rest are manufactured by AI. You can go to a website and it will just spit out an AI image. Can you figure out which one is the real human? Okay, tell the person beside you who you think is the real human. Who do you think is the real human? It's, I don't know that you can tell. It's like impossible to tell. Okay, so if you picked... The little girl on the top row, she's the real human. Anyone choose her? The little girl on the top row, she's the real human. All the rest are manufactured. They, are, they don't exist. These humans are not humans. They don't exist. They are deep fakes. OK, now, now you guys warmed up. Now you all warmed up. OK, this next one is super hard. Is it a fake or real? <laughs> That's hard to tell, right? (laughs) A few years ago, a few years ago, I went camping with my family in the redwoods. And they're like, beautiful, those beautiful big trees. And we put up our tents and made our fire. And we kind of joked about all the potential bears in the redwoods. And it got pretty late. And I uh, went to brush my teeth in those little campground restrooms. You know what I'm talking about? And as I went in I was brushing my teeth and I saw on this metal shelf above the above the sink there was a diamond ring. It was sparkling in that little like light that comes down from just one light bulb and it was sparkling and it caught my attention. I thought, "Oh, somebody has left their ring here in the campground restroom. Well, I, a whole, a good Samaritan thing came over me as it sometimes, but not always does, unfortunately, but it came over me. And so I took the ring and I began to walk around. This is pretty late. Everyone's like kind of doing their own thing at the campfire. I kind of been walking around at each campfire and I say, is, is this, did anybody lose a ring? No. I go to the next one. Did anybody lose a ring? No. I go to the next one. Did anybody lose a ring? I I can't find the owner of this diamond ring. And I feel this heightened sense of responsibility that I must find the owner of this ring. And so uh, I go back to my campsite and I put it into the glove compartment in the car and I lock it away. And my husband and I talk, okay, in the morning I will give it to the park ranger. So that next morning dawns. It's a beautiful, kind of as it is in that part of Northern California. It was like a little cool morning, even though it's summer. And I pack up all of our stuff, and I go to the glove compartment, and I pull out the ring to get to the, to the park ranger. And, I, and the, the sunlight comes through the trees, and it hits it. And I immediately see that not only is the ring a fake, but it's a really big fake. I mean, it's like maybe not even glass. It might even just be plastic. Like I'm totally embarrassed. My family thinks I'm hilarious. Somehow I thought the ring was real in the dark. And sometimes it really takes a lot of light to be able to see what is real and what is not. Now, Jesus really cares about people being real disciples, real Christians. And in a world of deep fakes, or perhaps even some shallow fakes, I've also learned that's a term. In a world of fakes, or perhaps just in a world where everyone is trying to get your attention, especially in the Christian world and they want to get your attention and tell you why you should follow them, why you should give your allegiance to them, why you should align your own sense of who you are, your brand, your thoughts, your identity along with theirs. We have a world in which it is sometimes hard to distinguish between what is real Christianity and what is fake Christianity. And Jesus has strong words for fake Christians, for people who look like they are following Jesus on the outside, but inside it's a hot mess. It's a dirty mess. Now, I I don't mean to say that uh, you should be judgmental. I mean, Jesus speaks against that as well. I mean, it's not our work to decide who's going to heaven and who's not and who do we think is a Christian or who's not. In fact, Jesus says, Get the log out of your own eye before you go and pick the speck of dust out of someone else's. But Jesus also says, watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are as ferocious as wolves. Jesus also says, by their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. So you know that Christianity is a show and tell gospel. We show who we are with our actions, with our ideas, with how we show up in the world, and we tell second. Now, I, I think we have that kind of backwards, really, in our evangelical world. We tell first, and we maybe show at some point down the line. But Christianity is a show-first-and-tell-later kind of faith. I mean, telling is very important. Important. It is the witness of the gospel. It's evangelism. But we have to show our fruit. We have to show and demonstrate that we are real Christians. Not only that, in this world of potential deep and shallow fakes, you need signs to help you discern who are the people that you should be following. And in this world, to me, this seems more important than ever. (laughs) Apparently, it's been always important back to the days of Jesus to be able to discern who is a Christian that you should follow and who should you not? Now again, we're not talking about being judgmental about whether or not they are a Christian. That is up to between them and God. But we're talking about you as discerning people, you as leaders and influencers in society, you as being prepared to go into the world in your jobs, your workplaces, your families, your schools, your communities, and churches. You need skills of discernment You need wisdom. I need wisdom. We need to be able to recognize signs of a real Christian. Now, I have a few for you, and they happen to be right in line with our chapel frames. So I want to introduce them to you. Now, these aren't all of the signs of a real Christian. This is not an exhaustive list, but this is a start. This list brings up renewed mind, kingdom community, heart holiness, and, hands of service. and I want you to think about these four frames or these four signs as ways that you can recognize what it means to be a real Christian. Okay, let's look at this through one of the, one of the parables that Jesus tells. So Jesus tells this parable in Mark chapter 30. He says, With what can we compare the kingdom of God? Or what parable will we use for it? It is like a mustard seed, which when sown upon the ground is the smallest of all the seeds on earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes the greatest of all shrubs and puts forth large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. Okay, so let's start here in this first verse, because I think in this little parable, there's all kinds of truth packed in that helps us understand what are four signs of a real Christian. And let's start at the beginning when it says, with what can we compare the kingdom of God? So Jesus is using a Socratic teaching method, right? Where he's inviting you, it's a rhetorical question, but he's inviting you to ponder it for yourself. With what would you compare the kingdom of God? Now, we could think back to that day to the people who are listening and what they might be thinking about. and, And I wonder, if you were telling this story, what would you compare the kingdom of God to? So to the listeners at that moment, kingdoms are very real things. They live amidst the Roman Empire. So empire is a reality And in their minds, when they hear the kingdom, what do we compare the kingdom to? It is most likely that these listeners are going to have images of the empire. The empire that is strong in both soldiers and horses and chariots and wealth and education and eliteness and power. And everything in those days would have pointed to Jesus saying, let's compare the kingdom of heaven to a thousand horses, a thousand of the best and the finest horses. Let's compare the kingdom of heaven to a well-prepared army, a well-stocked weaponry. Oh, perhaps the set of the finest, most prepared Olympic athletes who've been training all of their days and are at their peak physical condition. How about a well-governed city? What do you compare the kingdom of heaven to? But instead, Jesus says, What should we compare the kingdom of heaven to? It is like a mustard seed. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. I mean, anything and anyone would say this is very, this is not the parable to use, Jesus. This is not the word picture. This will never go in the press. It's really going to be bad for your publicity. If you want people to follow you, you should be talking about empire. You should be talking about rulers and power and prestige and success. You should be talking about political overflow and overthrowing the government. But Jesus says it is like a mustard seed. And a seed, not just to any seed, but one of the smallest seeds in the world. In fact, a mustard seed is one millimeter big. A flea is three millimeters, just to give you perspective. <laughs> one millimeter. The kingdom of heaven is compared to a mustard seed. One millimeter. What is Jesus talking about? What does it mean to be part of this kingdom community that isn't going to identify itself with the things of power and empire and strength and wealth and privilege? And instead, Jesus says, it is like a mustard seed when sown upon the ground is the smallest of all the seeds, yet when it is sown, it grows up. Watch this and is the greatest of all shrubs. We'll talk about that more in just a moment. So Jesus associates himself all through the gospels with the least of these. He chooses fisher people to go with him and be his disciples. He hangs out with sinners and tax collectors. His, uh, his character is called into question because of the people he hangs out with. He is a day laborer himself, a carpenter. He chooses the people that are not at the top, but at the bottom. He makes his friends among the underclass, the peasants and the poor, people with no social power. And these are the ones that he calls and invites into community. You know, a marker, a sign of someone who's pursuing the heart of Jesus like a real Christian emerging as it may be, trajectory as it may be, is someone who no longer identifies with the upward mobility of power and wealth and success. Now, that doesn't mean that Christians don't have power and they can't be successful. But being successful and having power does not a Christian make. Instead, a real Christian seeks the journey like Jesus of identifying not with what brings the signs of power in a culture, but instead recognizes like Jesus that the community is made up with the people that have less social power, that the people who often are considered at the margins are the people that are in the center of Jesus' heart. And you can recognize a person. Who is a real Christian because they show you with their lives where their heart identifies. Are they more interested in aligning with power and status and success and wealth? Even if they have those things, do they align their identity or are they looking to align their identity with the things of Jesus? The things that bring the most vulnerable and the poor at the center. Now, how that happens can happen in lots of different ways, but the person is marked showing their faith by by how their heart is showing up in the world. A kingdom community is a multi-ethnic, every nation, tribe, and tongue community. It's a community that's made up of the poor and the marginalized and the vulnerable, and people like us who are educated and have power and privilege. But it means that the weakest people are not the on the edges, meant to be ignored, but they're at the center with the heart of Jesus. So it's this kingdom community that when it is planted in the soil, it begins to grow and becomes the greatest of all shrubs, putting forth great branches. And so A mustard bush is a multi-stem plant. As it begins to grow, it grows from up to like six feet, 30 feet in, in circumference. I mean, it's a huge plant, but it grows like under the radar and it grows without a lot of care because it's learned to grow even in arid soil without a lot of water. It grows naturally and organically and it reproduces, and it continues to grow. That is the organic kingdom of God. It grows through relationship, and it grows not through structures, but through this organic love of Jesus that compels it. It grows through great branches that begin to extend to all corners of the earth. Not because it's in power, but because it's the power of God, the kingdom of heaven. You know, it's kind of like our own hearts, heart holiness, that real Christians who want sign is a heart that continues to grow more holy, One thing about the mustard bush is that it continues to to like grow and it keeps other things from growing in the soil. Like it grows so rapidly and so connectedly and it makes such and it grows so broadly. So in the same way with heart holiness, when the holy seed of God is planted in your heart. It grows organically as you turn your eyes and heart to Jesus. And it begins to grow and fill you up with holiness. So there's frankly no room for sin to take root. A sign of a real Christian is someone whose heart holiness continues to grow and grow and grow. So there simply isn't room for sin to take root. Now these things don't happen overnight. But as you're paying attention and giving attention to be discerning to leaders and disciples and pastors, you're looking to see, does their heart continue to grow in the ways of holiness? Does it continue to have less in abound and more Jesus and more Jesus and more Jesus and more Jesus? And then the scripture says, When the seed is sown it grows up and it becomes the greatest of all shrubs and puts forth large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in the shade. Jesus is a real fan of birds. He talks about birds, cares about birds. He says like he he cares for the the sparrows that fall. In Psalm 84 it tells us that at his altar, at, at the altar in the temple, there's this poetry around that even the birds can make their nests in the altar Like, there's something about this idea of the kingdom of heaven, of the kingdom community being a place where even birds can find their homes. And I wonder what that says about being a real Christian, about your faith showing up in real ways. And I think it could mean that as we follow Jesus, our lives create space for others. Our lives create space for those People, some hospitality, some space for people to dwell alongside with us. It means that our lives demonstrate a way of being in the world that is open to creating family for others, that we take note of vulnerable people and issues and make space for them in our lives. We're known as real Christians. Real Christians use Not only their voice to give witness to Jesus, but their lives demonstrate the gift of who they are, including their resources. Now, I said a few moments ago, the seed goes into the soil. You know, Pastor Greg read that passage for us in Philippians. Philippians 2. Where Jesus uh, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but instead made himself nothing, taking on the very nature of a servant and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. So as much as this little parable is about what it means to be the kingdom community, what does it mean to be that organic community so filled up with God that we overflow with holiness like sin can't get a root, to be the kind of community where we make space for others, to dwell with us, to make their home in our community. But there's also this piece about the soil in the ground. You know, a seed in the soil in the ground. And when the seed is planted into the darkness of the ground, it begins to grow and transform. And that's really what happened when Jesus became obedient to death. Jesus did not think of himself like a deity that didn't need to do what God had called him to do. But instead, his very being became a sacrifice. Instead, he spent three days in the tomb, like the ground, to be transformed. And this mind of Christ, this way of Christ, gives us a sign of what it means to be a real Christian. Because Jesus demonstrated for us a life that gave itself away sacrificially, but not without hope. It says that Jesus gave himself away, came obedient to death, and God glorified him. And through his radical, radical surrender, the hope of the world comes. You know, there's a little story about this humility and hope that Jesus demonstrates uh, that I think back on to when I was just graduating from Asbury. Asbury. And I, I went all the way around the world to a city, Calcutta, India, and it really transformed me in so many ways, because I got to see with my own eyes the profound human suffering, and I've never been different, because I also saw Jesus there. And I went to serve in Mother Teresa's Home for the Dying and Home for Handicapped Children, and one of these images has just really shaped my understanding of Jesus. And if you go down to the very inner place in Calcutta, India, this place called Kali you find Mother Teresa's home for the dying. And, and when I went there, uh, there was just crowds and mobs of people that were actively dying in the streets. And Mother Teresa and her missionaries of charity in their white robes with their blue lining around their face they would bring in the people that were dying in the gutters, the true destitute people, and they would care for their bodies and breathe words of faith and peace and prayer as they died. It was a, a holy hospice in a place where there was no hospice, and thousands of people were dying tragically. Down in Kali God as well, there was also this temple to the goddess Kali, And the goddess Kali uh, demanded constant blood offerings. And so uh, people would bring their their goat or their sheep, even then, (laughs) to pour out a blood offering to appease the goddess. But what really captured my attention was that these two places shared a wall. And on one side, you had this ministry to the death, to people who were dying and destitute. And on the other side, you had sacrifices ritualistically to try to continue for this God to do less harm to you or to perhaps protect you. And I thought about that image of this wall that connected this place of absolute death and this place of of final hope. And it became to me this way of understanding the work of Jesus in the world where Jesus has one foot in the hope of heaven and one foot in the suffering of the world and he holds all of these things together, all of the hope and promise and redemption, but yet a constant presence with the deepest suffering of our planet and he holds that together as the redemptive hope for the world, not a hope that needs ritualistic bloodletting, not a hope that needs your sacrifice of your life, although sometimes we're called to sacrificial love, or always. But Jesus holds all of the hope and the humility of the world. It is the renewed mind of Christ. So four marks of being a Christian One, to hold a kingdom community that is marked not by where you are aspiring to identify with power and eliteness, control, but instead to identify with the things that Jesus identified with. And then a heart that is so holy because of the work of God that no sin can take root or it takes less and less root. And then hands of service, a life that makes space for others, that creates room as a community. And finally, a renewed mind, the hope and humility of Jesus. I have four questions to ask. We've been talking about what are signs, how do you discern in the world, what is a real Christian? How can you look at lives and see are their lives demonstrating showing what they're talking about but there's four questions for you who do you seek to identify with is sin or holiness growing rampant and organically in your heart do you share your life your testimony And your resources with others? Are you becoming a person of humility and hope? You know, these are the four questions for real Christians, the four questions to ponder in an age where a lot of people will tell you what their life does not show. Who do you seek to identify with? Is sin or holiness growing rampant and organically in your heart? Do you share your life, testimony, and your resources with others? Are you becoming a person of humility and hope? So, Jesus, uh, we are your people today. We want to be. (laughs) We thank you that you are very merciful to us. We thank you, Jesus, that you are growing us after you as much as we desire that in our hearts, Lord. God, would you give us a hunger to be mustard seed kinds of Christians. Would you give us lives that show and demonstrate marks of a real Christian, that we don't just tell people that we're Christians, that our life is so plain and clear, showing that we are following you. Jesus, I pray that you teach us about where we align ourselves with. I pray, Jesus, that you show us what it means to be people of humility. Do not consider (laughs) power, something to be grasped, but instead we give it up with sacrificial love. Jesus, would you show us? Would you renew our minds? Fill our hearts with you.
1: We love you, Jesus.